morning, everyone. I want to, uh, you know, just invite you to join in as we begin a new series, and um, and it's a series of discovery. You know, even the title, how it begins. I don't know. I've struggled for weeks and weeks with this, but this is what God has, and 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 so there's something in this for you that talks about your next, how God does a new work in you, how God leads you from the present places of stuckness, of pain, of dark, of hopelessness, of fear, because our God is a God of new beginnings. And the question I want to ask all of us at this time in our lives is, how do we, what do we need to do to see a great work of God begin in us? What do I need to do to be, see a great work of God begin in my marriage? What do I need to do to see a great work of God begin in my own heart, uh, in my work life? What do I need to do to see a great work of God begin in the, in the church? What do I need to do to see the glory of God come, as Jesus said that it would, on heaven, uh, in heaven as on earth? Well, here's the deal, and I'll unpack it and I'll explain it in the, in the days to come, but um, this great work of God, this it, this new, this next, this, this movement it begins in us how it began in them. And so what I want us to do is to begin to make stronger connections between the past faithfulness of God and the present faithfulness of God and, of course, the future faithfulness of God. I'm not asking you to live in the past. I'm not asking you to live in the future. I'm asking you to be fully present in the presence of God Almighty here and now. And one of the ways that we do that, one of the ways that we learn about how God moves and works uh, is, you know, in our own lives as we look and see how he has moved and how he has worked and who he is because who he is is who he was and what he did is what he will do. And, and we find ourselves in a day that needs a new beginning. The church is the hope of the world. God has no plan B. You are not on the sidelines. You are not uh, in an NFL stadium watching elite few play down on the field below. You are God's elite. Jesus looked at us when we were, you know, totally ignorant of him. I want you to go back to the Sermon on the Mount. There's, there's Jesus. People have barely begun to hear from him and who he is. And, 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 and they walk uh, up to this, this guy that, you know, they don't know who he is, they haven't heard much, and they sit down at his feet, and Jesus says to them, you are the light of the world. And from there it grows. The reality is in the, in the, the, the 21st century, the church is battered and bruised, but the church is still the hope of the world. And for all its very human flaws and weaknesses, the church is the believing body of Christ the living revelation of Jesus Christ in the 21st century, just as Jesus was the living revelation of God in the first century. Just as. John 20, 21 says, as the Father has sent me, let that sink in, I am sending you. It is the truth. But in the 21st century, the church uh, is down. I mean, if this were a boxing match, the, uh, the judges' scorecards are not looking good for us. Um, the, the church is shrinking instead of expanding. It is um, considered increasingly irrelevant instead of the source of all meaning. The, the church is, is in decline instead of ascent. And, and yet the church is still the hope of the world. So we have two choices, people. 
And here they are. Give up, lie down, and die. Or rise up, begin again, and live. I choose to rise up. Because that's what my Savior did. And that's the foundational work of God. It was to rise on the third day, not only um, as a, a freeing us of all of our sins, but as a, an invitation to the whole movement of our life in a dying down world. We rise up with Jesus as we believe in him. So, so what do we need to do to see a great work of God begin in us? We need to believe. We need to trust God. We need to look carefully at the Holy Scriptures and allow those Holy Scriptures to get past our defenses, to get past our unbelief and our doubt and our fear. We need to be confronted by God Almighty. We need to, to have a personal encounter with Jesus that revives us, that speaks to us, that says, don't give up. In our own journey, don't, don't lie down because dying is not my plan for you. And you know, in these choices, giving up, lying down, and dying, there's a progression and a movement. Giving up is the mental part, where we begin to have a set of ideas of, uh, about what's possible. We begin to, to think in negative ways, and, and, and what's happening is basically our, our hope is going into an eclipse. And, and when we begin to give up, our courage begins to leak and to fail, and, and as a result of that, we, we begin to follow our thoughts with actions and we begin to lie down. We begin to act in defeated ways. We begin to act in ways that affirm something that need not be true as though it had to be true. It's like, it's like saying, I'm going to die of hunger when your pantry is full of food, but you choose not to eat because you believe you're going to die of hunger. And the fact that your pantry is full of food is irrelevant, so you stop eating and guess what? You die of hunger. And so from the mental game, it goes to a series of increasingly spiraling actions, then to the actual consequences of, of dying down. And the church in this, not even post-COVID world, this, this world we find ourselves in has got some choices to make, and you and I have some choices to make. And I want to just, you know, just pause for a second and, and, and talk about this give up, lie down, and die part, right? Because... Because this mental game is, is, the, is, is spiritual as well. When I was in fifth grade, I first saw Robert Ogle. So Bob Ogle, this, this is a, wasn't you, but uh, saw Robert Ogle. And, and Robert Ogle was about 185 pounds in, uh, in sixth grade, okay? And uh, I thought he was the coolest guy in the world. He just came to our little Eastside Elementary School at the, at the end of uh, at the school year. Because he was so huge and he had a mustache already. You guys remember those kids, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> he had a mustache already. I think he was shaving in the sixth grade. And, but he also had a motorcycle. And he was riding around the school parking lot and he said, you want to ride? I didn't know how to ride a motorcycle. I said, sure. No, I got on it, off I, I took. And he, and he was just so generous with it. And, and, you know, and I was just thinking, man, this is going to be great to play in the football uh, team with, with Robert next year. The only trouble is Robert transferred in the summer. Next year when football came around, I weighed in at 99 pounds. 99. Amazing, fearsome pounds. And, um, and Robert had transferred to the school. We were playing in our first game. It's the kickoff. And we're receiving and the ball is coming to us and I'm supposed to block. I'm, I'm the left 
defensive end at this point. I'm on the left, and, 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 and it's my home bench. So there's my people and my coaches are right there. So all I'm thinking about mental game is I don't want to run into Robert. <laughs> he's twice the size of anybody else on the field, literally. He's twice the size of any of the rest of us. So kickoff comes, the ball flies past, our guys catches it. You know, they couldn't let it just run into the in, end zone. They catches it and starts running, and they start running my way, and I'm going, oh, my goodness. So I'm running along, and I'm, I'm picking somebody to block, and I'm looking for everybody to block, right? But all of a sudden, all I can see is Goliath coming down the field. Pump, pump, pump. I'm telling you, the ground shook around him, <laughs> you know? And, 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 and then when, we, when we're you know, getting closer, I'm trying to pick somebody else, you know, and kind of giving mental messages to the guys around me. Go hit him. Go hit him. You're bigger than I am. And here, and I'm running past my coaches, and my coaches are looking at me. And I'm sure they weren't actually looking at me. They're probably watching the ball. But all I can say is they're looking at me. And here comes Robert. And he is coming right for me. And I'm up until the last minute counting my options. Can I go left? Can I go right? Maybe I can trip right here and right now and just go down hard. But it's like, I can't do that. So I run as hard as I can into, into Goliath. I put my helmet down. I, I, didn't, know, I didn't know much about it. Not a real sports guy. I didn't know much about anything. I just put my helmet down into Robert's chest, um, and and the next thing I know, I'm on the ground, and my coach is trying to make me a, a permanent quadriplegic because he's reaching down and going, Schaffner, Schaffner, grabbing my face mask. I've just hit this guy with my neck, and he's knocked me out. I'm unconscious on the field, and the coach is, Schaffner, are you okay? I would be coach if you'd let go of my helmet. That story is, is a good illustration of, of facing your fears up to a point. Because the truth is that when you actually begin to face your fears in the faith of Jesus Christ, in that moment when you hit Robert, in that moment where your 90 pounds collides with twice your weight and the mass and momentum, in the moment where you're absolutely going to get clobbered and killed, instead of, instead of your fears coming into reality, what you will find in, in the spiritual realm is that is that you pass through. You find that the enemy has no power over you. You find that you're not going to die down. You find that you don't have to lie down. You find that you can actually rise up in those moments as you pass through your fears and your, your, your anger and all of the stuck places you find yourself in. But it all starts with this mental reality of, of what you believe. There are people who believe that, you know, they're, they're beyond hope, they can't start again, that, uh, that they will never see better days in their life, that they will never experience the glory of God in their life, that God will never use them, that they will never have the hope and the power and the love of God as a present reality in their life, that, that they will walk in darkness instead of light. And I'm, and I'm telling you, none of those things are true unless you let them be. We have a choice in this COVID age. As the church and as individuals, with all uh, the, the, the Robert that is coming towards you, all the Goliath that you're facing, you have a choice. And I say we rise up. I say we begin again. The Sunday before COVID, we had almost 1,100 people. Uh, again, as I share with you, we're 62% away from that. I say, so what? 
I say, look around and, and look at all the people that God loves and died for and who are hurting in the dark. I say, Jesus said, lift up your eyes off your circumstances and look on the fields because they're white to harvest. Jesus is saying, I am pursuing hard my sons and daughters who do not yet know me and I'm, I'm sending you to do this. So I say we rise up. I say we begin again and we throw off whatever it is that is discouraging us, whatever it is that we have been allowing to weigh us down and, and whatever mental lies that we've been believing from hell, that we throw those off and we simply choose to rise with Jesus. Now to find our clues as a, a restart as a church, we're going back. We're going to go back to the beginning of the church in the book of Acts. And whatever you are going through personally, you're going to find your way forward in the Word of God. And I, I want to encourage you, if I do nothing else as your shepherd, to read the Word of God. This is the Holy Scriptures. This is the Word of God to you. It is God's love letter to you. You don't need to be an academician to understand it. In fact, Jesus said you've got to change and become like a little child. And when you do, you can enter my kingdom. And so when you read the word of God with an open, believing heart, you will be amazed how much you enter into the presence of God and you experience glimpses of his glory. And these glimpses of God's glory, they illuminate the pathway in front of you. They they, they give you a new perspective. They right-size life when you're in the Word of God. And Satan will do everything he can to keep you out of your Bible. My, my first pastor used to say either, either sin will keep you out of the Bible or the Bible will keep you out of, of sin. And I would say the same thing is true. Either, either the insanity of hopelessness and fear will keep you from reading the Word of God or the Word of God will keep you from the hopelessness and insanity of, of, of life in the dark. Whatever direction we need as a church to discover the power of God in the real world we live in, we will find in the Holy Scriptures. We read, we believe, we understand that, 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 that it begins in us how it began in them. So how did it begin in them? How did these ordinary people experience the glory of God? How did these ordinary people encounter God and trust Him and then respond in their, their life in, in ways that have echoed through the centuries and impact us still. How did that happen? Well, however it happened in them is how it's going to happen in us. And the book of Acts records the transformation of the Jesus movement. From an unknown carpenter in Galilee to, to a gathering of, of 12 and then 72 and, a, and 144. And, and then this, this movement that, that, that ended apparently on the cross when all the disciples were scattered. Every one of them abandoning him. And Jesus went from adoring crowds to the loneliness of a cross. He went from Hosanna to crucify him. And at the cross it all appeared hopeless. Like it was time to give up, lie down, and die to the dream. So, how then did 12 failed disciples <laughs> go from, from that moment to a group of, of human beings willing to pay any price to share the message of Jesus with, a, with the whole Roman Empire? 
The book of Acts records this transformation of the Jesus movement from, from the, the defeat of the, the, the cross, the hiding in the, the upper room, you know, behind locked doors on, the, on the, that, that day. It goes from that to this, this explosion of faith and, and the testimony of the glory of God to people's lives being changed and transformed. It's the birth and the movement of the church out into the Roman world despite two centuries of persecution. These people were unstoppable. They believed what they believed. And they got to experience the glory of God in their lives. How did these scattered few become an anointed army driven by the love of God and, and anointed by the Spirit of God? Have you felt the Spirit of God in your life? I'm not talking about chasing a feeling. Have you felt the presence of God in your life? Have you invited the presence of God into your life? Do you take time in your life to be still and quiet and, and just open up the doors of your heart to, to the love of God? People, we don't have to die down. We don't have to live in fear and hopelessness. We have the Son of God who has shown us the way forward. And in the book of Acts, you have a group of people who changed the world forever. So how did they live? What did they believe? What captured their imaginations and then, and then captured the imaginations of a culture that, that in part followed them and in part persecuted them? What happened? Guys, I'm telling you, this is a story worth knowing. The book of Acts is our origin story. It's where we came from. And in these, this time of dying down where many churches are, are going to be closing, where many churches are just going to say, well, this is the new normal, Let's just raise the white flag and give up. I say no. And without being profane, I'm not being profane. I say no to hell. And you know what that sounds like, right? No, we're not going to do that. Because Jesus, in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and this is as far as we're going to get in Acts today because this is an introduction. <laughs> but here it starts. In my former book, Theophilus, this is, this is Luke writing uh, this, this new transformation uh, history. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. The foundations of what's about to happen, what I'm recording in this book. Until the day he was taken up to heaven and after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. And so in a hopeless, occupied Roman territory, a backwater province that, that no Roman politician ever wanted to be assigned to, the kingdom of God had come. The glory of God that was shown uh, at at the birth in Bethlehem, was now, uh, you know, appearing among them, and Christ ascends into heaven, and, and, and Luke is saying something profound has happened here. And you want to know how all the, the, the story that I'm about to write to you unfolded, it's because of this foundation of who Jesus was, and what he did, and the remarkable life he lived, and, and the stories he told, and the things he taught, and, and his crucifixion and his resurrection. Guys, all this story, this remarkable story about this Nazarene carpenter is the story about the Son of God who came to earth. Do you believe that? Do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? I'm serious. We, 
We just need to, and if you're here and you're exploring faith, you know, uh, good on you for doing that. And thank you guys for being here online. And, and for those of you there who are exploring faith and growing in your journey. But, but for those of us kind of, uh, you know, who've reached the starting line or who are running the race, I just got to ask again, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Then why are we so hopeless? Why are we so hesitant? And at times, why do we so easily mentally first give in to the game of defeat and then slowly back off in our actions and in our energies uh, towards the service of the kingdom of God and, and the fellowship of Jesus Christ? Why do we begin to let those things die down and fall off? We remember the, the time in our lives where we were, our hearts burned and we were on fire for God, but now we look at ourselves and we are so far from that. Why, why that dying down journey? Well, I say no more to that. It, in one sense, it really doesn't matter because it's time to begin again. And you can begin again. The book of Acts is taking place mere months after all these events. So what I want to set for the context is that here's a difference between the context for us and for them. For those human beings suffering the occupation of Rome, the, the, the murder of their Savior, um, for those human beings who are still being threatened by the Sanhedrin with persecution and, and, and further arrest, all of this Jesus story was fresh and alive. It was near. And for many of us, for a variety of reasons, and, and again, all these things are true in my life, I really try never to preach or say anything to you um, as true that, that it also is not also true in my life. Do not think I walk on water. Do not think my life is, a, is one spiritual step from one holy cloud to another. It is not, because <laughs> I'm no different. What I'm saying to us all is the difference between what is about to unfold in the book of Acts and the lives of these human beings and, and us is the nearness of God and the nearness of Christ. This was fresh in their minds and their hearts and, and it was undeniable to them and it was real to them. Whereas for us, because often we're not in the scriptures, we're not bathing and immersing our hearts in the word of God, it has become distant to us and, and other things and problems and issues and people. God will always use people <laughs> to reveal himself and Satan will always use people to discourage the revelation of God. It's the way it works. But there are two things in the book of Acts, to, to put this in context, there are two, two defining events in this, this unfolding story that was happening mere months after, after Jesus had risen. Uh, there were two defining realities that flow through every page of this book in the book of Acts, and they are these. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross that proved the truth of his love. It was fresh. It was real. It was near. Some of those had been there. And for those who hadn't, they just looked at the evidence of the changed lives around them and they said, this is undeniable. And the reality of the sacrifice of the Son of God and the demonstration of God's real love for them was, was intriguing, it was infectious, it was inspiring. In the modern church, not so much. But it was to them and it can be to us. It's time to begin again. The second thing that was just... Um, you know, the defining reality, the defining context of, of, of uh, their, their faith in Christ 
was the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And the resurrection of Jesus from the dead proved the truth of his message. Lots of people got lots to say, <laughs> you know? Have you noticed that? You know, everybody's got an opinion. So Jesus is just another religious teacher. You know, there's been a lot since him. A lot of world religions. How do we know what's the truth? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. No other religious leader in human history has come back from the dead. Only Jesus. And so from the cross and the empty tomb, God formed a church, a community of people, not buildings, but a community of, of, of believers whose hearts and minds were captured by love, who were near the, the Son of God, whose, whose lives were, were you know, just swimming in the, the Spirit of God. And, and, and these two events are the bookends of all of their reality and all the transformation that, that launched the church in the first century to to really conquer the Roman Empire and, and change the history of the world. And so, how it begins for us is how it began for them. And so we're going to begin our, our journey through the book of Acts. Um, actually, not in the book of Acts. But we're going to talk about his suffering for just a bit. And then next week we're going to talk about the resurrection. Because until these two events are, are real to us, as real as our bills as real as medical stuff, as real as relationship problems, as real as challenges with your parents or teachers or teachers with your students or, or you know, marriage problems or whatever until the, the crucifixion of Christ that proves God's love for you, until that love comes home and becomes real to you, it's all just going to be this kind of vaporware. And until you can stand with confidence on the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and face, and face the giants running down you to the field, it's, but this is our way forward. And this is how we're going to begin again as a church. You watch and see what happens in the days to come, in the years to come. How it begins in us, that's how it begins in them. So I just want to take a, a couple of minutes and unpack this. The sacrifice of Christ, his passion, all that led to the cross proved the truth of his love for your life. You never need to doubt whether God loves you. You never need to doubt whether you're acceptable. You never need to doubt whether you're worth enough, good enough. On the cross, Jesus has demonstrated all of heaven's love for you. And now you get to live in all of heaven's love for you. Satan will do everything he can to distance your mind and your heart from the reality of that undying love, of that suffering love. Jesus suffered so you and I don't have to. And I'm, and I'm not saying that we're not going to pass through hard things. We are. We're all going to die. I consider that a hard thing personally. Anybody with me? <laughs> but so what? We rise. He suffered so that we don't have to suffer in torment. He suffered so that we don't have to, to live with this idea that I've got to be good enough to earn my way to heaven. You cannot do it, and it's arrogant of you to even think you can. Here's how good you have to be to, to, to be good enough to get in heaven. You've never sinned once. If you can pull that off, then you may have a shot. If you, if you messed up in third grade or as a four-year-old being rebellious to your parents, you're done for. 
But on the cross, the scripture says that, that Jesus has done it all for us. And the question behind uh, life-changing salvation that becomes world-changing commitment and service is found in John chapter 13, verse 12. Do you understand what I've done for you? This is the question Jesus asked on the last night of his life before he washed his disciples' feet. And, and, and the scripture tells us, uh, you know, in, the, in that moment, in John chapter 13, verse 1, uh, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to the Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he showed them uh, his love to the very end. An alternate translation, equally as good as, he now showed them the full extent of his love. These words were not merely for the washing of feet. That was a symbol for all that Jesus had done leading up to the ultimate thing that Jesus would do, and that is suffer for us on the cross. And so Jesus stands before the disciples, and he stands before you and I today in the midst of all of our confusion and our fears and our hurts and our pains, and he says, do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand what I've done for you? Man, this is the glory of God. This is the love of God demonstrated for us all. He has loved us so beautifully and so well. He has taken away all the sins of our past. He has, he has made the present filled with possibilities and hope. He's taken us from a dying down world to a rising up life. Do you understand what I've done for you? And I got to say, my most honest answer to that is yes and no. <laughs> but I want to. I want to. First John 2, 2 says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus has taken away every offense of ours and, and everything that would separate us. All the things that, that would shame you and make you stay away from God and hide like Adam and Eve in the garden. Jesus has, has paid for those in blood on the cross. All the, the sins cast as far as the east is from the west. You are welcome into the arms of God. And the only thing that would keep you from that embrace is your fear. In Romans 5.8, the scripture says, but God demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This isn't a theory. It isn't a theory. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross proved the truth of his love for your life. And these, this is the reality that, that absolutely launched the church in the book of Acts. Because they, they looked on the cross and they saw what love. At any moment, Jesus could have weaseled his way out of the cross before, you know, when he's standing before Pilate or, or anybody else. He could have changed his words just enough to have avoided the cross. He did not. At any point on the cross, he could have changed his mind and called down legions of angels. One angel slew well over 100,000 soldiers in the Old Testament. One. Jesus said, I could call 144,000. Don't you know this? What was it that held him to the cross? It's not a cliche, the one who said it wasn't nails, it was his love for you. Jesus suffered so you and I don't have to. And, and right now, the way out of your suffering, your restart, your new beginning, how it will begin for you is, is how it began for them, is to believe in that love. I want to read to you a passage just in closing here. 
um, that, that tells this passion story. It's found in John chapter 19, verses 16 through 21 and 28 through 37. Love is leading every step of this journey. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Did they really? Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull. Every step of that cross with a back torn apart, I honestly believe that Jesus Christ had, as the creator of the world uh, and, the, and the author of your faith in your life, I honestly believe Jesus had each one of us on his mind every step of the way, every, every agonizing breath as he, as he lifted up on nailed feet to breathe. I, I truly believe Jesus Christ was thinking of you. And there they crucified him. The pain of the first nail going through his hand was only anticipation for the pain of the second. His feet tied, you know, and the agony of, of his arms nailed is only anticipation of, of a nail going through the, the bones of his feet. The cries and screams of the human beings suffering around him are only more motivation and fuel for the fire of Jesus' desire to suffer for us so that no one has to suffer anymore. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. A truer statement never, never read. Many of the Jews read the sign and uh, on the place where Jesus was crucified. The sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. And the chief priests and the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but this man claimed that he was the King of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. This was more than a passive-aggressive insult to them. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares. This powerlessness, this weakness that Jesus was, was apparently demonstrating was for you and I. The one who's in control of all things at all times and has the power in every moment to, to speak life into creation was suffering weakness for us so that we never have to walk and live in this kind of helplessness ever. Let's not tear this seamless garment, they said, Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scriptures might be fulfilled. What is said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Verse 28 says, later knowing that everything had been fulfilled so that the scriptures would be uh, finished, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a large wine vinegar jar was there. So they soaked a sponge and put it, the sponge on a stalk of hyssop, lifted it to his lips. When Jesus had received the drink, he said, it is finished. To Telestai, what is finished? All of the work of, of everything that would separate every child that I created, everything that would separate you from, from his love, it's done away with. It's done. Every reason for you to, to, to mentally give up and, and lie down and begin to die, all that is, is taken care of. It's, it's finished. You don't have to work to earn it or, or receive it. You just, just have to believe that it was really done on the cross. And I'm telling you, the early church could not forget these events. 
It was burned like an image in their minds. It was near to them at all times. And everything they did, facing persecution, watching the stoning of Stephen later and realizing at any moment that we come out for Jesus, they could pick up rocks and, 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 and throw them at us too. But at every moment, it was the suffering of Christ that inspired them every step of the way. It is finished. I got nothing to fear. For the rest of my days and for every breath that I breathe the rest of my life, I never, ever, ever have to give up, lie down, and die. Because Jesus died. It was a day of preparation. The next day was to be a special Sabbath. The Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies left on the crosses. Um, during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. They would break the legs so that the, the victim of the cruelest form of execution ever devised on earth so that the, the, the victims could no longer breathe. They would break the legs, then the person could not lift them up on nailed feet to, to, to catch a breath, and they would, they would suffocate. And to add injury to insult of all that had already been done, all the mocking as people were dying, to have someone come up with a sledgehammer and break your legs is beyond, beyond human thought and cruelty. When they came to Jesus, however, um, they found that he was already dead. They didn't break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and wine. The man who saw this has given testimony, and his testimony is true. Even in John, John is saying, I know you weren't there to see this, but I am telling you what I saw. I am telling you what I experienced. You can trust the truth of what I say. These things happen so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. None of his bones will be broken. And as the scripture says, they will look upon the one they have pierced. And the spirit aside was just the, the final proof that this man suffered and died for love and for us. So I want to say to you, as the worship team comes out and joins me, wherever we're stuck, frozen in fear, shame, or regret, the cross is our place of beginning again. No greater statement of love has ever been lived than the cross for you. You don't have to doubt your worth. You don't have to doubt your significance. You don't have to prove it to other people. You don't have to try your whole life to gain the acceptance that maybe your parents didn't give. Because Jesus has fully accepted you and embraced you beyond a worth you could ever imagine. And if we'll go back to the cross... To the end of Jesus, the end of Jesus will find our beginning. <laughs> you may feel like you're at an end here today. You are not, if you're willing to believe. Not only do you have your whole life in front of you, you have all of eternity in front of you because Jesus opened the way. I'm just telling you, these radicals in the book of Acts, they weren't a bunch of namby-pamby churchgoers. They weren't a bunch of sit-still Catholic, Baptist, Presbyterians trying to control things. These were radical Christ followers in love with Jesus and this love overflowed into their life and, and they weren't too busy to serve him. Their life was serving him. The cross is the end of all of our dying down. It's the beginning of all of our rising up and living if we'll go there. And believing in the love of the cross gives us a love for the cross that inspires a life and a church that nothing can stop. And, and if we are stopped by COVID, shame on us. If we are stopped and discouraged by, by the present reality and all the politics and all the division of our nation, then shame on us. We don't believe our own gospel. 
We don't deserve to bear the name of Jesus, but let me even take that away. We don't deserve to bear the name of Jesus, but in God's grace and love, he's given us his name. So let's receive it. Paul put it this way in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. Man, I am so inspired by the love of the cross that I'm going to carry it in my life. I'm going to die to everything that isn't God. I'm going to die to everything that's killing me in this world. I'm going to die to my own dying down. I'm going to die to my discouragement. Have you ever thought of that? I'm going to die to my hopelessness. There's a way to die. I'm going to die to my fears. Wow, that's a great thing to die towards. I'm going to die to my own unworthiness, my shame. I'm going to die to my hopelessness. I'm going to die to everything that is, that is keeping me from charging hell with a water pistol, and I don't even need a reload. So I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, Paul said. In the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, and died for me, and gave himself for me. This is from Paul, the disciple who changed the world. No less a call is on your life than his. You can use all the excuses you want. I can use all the excuses of the hardship of this world and, and all of the, the difficulties of this world and the problems we have and blah, 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 blah. And I'm not saying that to minimize, but blah, 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 blah. Or we can rise up. We can begin again. I don't care how many times you've fallen down. Get up. Because this time is going to be a time you stay up and live. For those of you who don't know Jesus, who have not personally, you may know about Jesus, but, but you have never consciously and, and intentionally committed your life to be his follower for life and eternity, today's your day. Pastor Drew, how do I do that? You call on the name of Jesus. The scripture says everyone who calls on his name will be saved. You open your heart in prayer and, and you ask him in and, and you thank him for forgiving you and he does. And we would be happy to have a conversation. Any Christian around you, you can have this conversation with them. We're not like the super qualified ones, but we will be happy to have. You can, you can email, call, you can talk to us here and now. Um, you can make a move. We're gonna have some, some folks here in the front. Uh, maybe that's your beginning again today. For some of you, you know, you're a follower of Jesus, but, but you've been giving up and lying down and, and, and you kind of feel dead inside. It, it's just, it's okay. It really is. It's just time to begin again. And how it begins in us is how it began in them. And, and it began in them with, with the cross. So would you come back to the cross? Would you die to all that you need to die to today? Maybe you need to come up and just, just have a time of prayer. This is a fork in the road moment in history for the church. Will it ever be the same as it was before? I don't know. I hope not. I hope it's better. <laughs> it will be better. We're going to be better. What about you for you? This is your fork in the road. I'm just going to pray a short prayer and, and ask you to respond again. We're going to have some folks here in the front. And sometimes, you know, you think, well, I don't need to go down and kneel. You know, sometimes, yeah, you do. Sometimes you got to make a move got to be a little bit bold, not embarrassed. I don't care what other people think. I just want to come before the presence of God and I want to begin again. And, and if you want to pray with one of us, we're here. If you want to pray by yourself, God's here. So Father, in the name of Jesus, 
I thank you for your glory and the glory of your love and the beauty of your grace and the power of the resurrection. And I pray in the name of Jesus today that, God, you would lead us to begin again. Your arms are open waiting. We just have to make the walk of faith to your presence. Help us to begin, Father, in Jesus' name.